Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of interviewing for this podcast, Dr. Koji Matsuo, who is an Associate Professor in the Division of Gynecologic Oncology at the University of Southern California, and Dr. David Gershenson, who is in the Department of Gynecologic Oncology and Reproductive Medicine at MD Anderson Cancer Center. The topic of this discussion is going to be on the uptake and outcomes of neoadjuvant chemotherapy among U.S. patients with less common epithelial ovarian carcinomas. That was published recently in JAMA Network. Um, Koji, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's my great pleasure to be able to discuss this project with you all today. Thank you, Pedro. Excellent. So uh, again, congratulations, obviously, on this uh, on this publication. And um, and I wanted to uh, start with Koji. Uh, we have uh, quite a number of uh, questions, but I wanted to first ask, you know, and certainly neoadjuvant chemotherapy traditionally has not been recommended for patients with rare tumors. So why did you embark on exploring this treatment option in this patient population? Um. Thank you for the question. So um, this actually uh, clinical question started uh, more than 10 years ago um, when I was a um, research fellow at MD Anderson Cancer Center um, 13, 14 years ago. My mentor, uh, Dr. Anil Sud, uh, his, um the important message to his trainee, including me, was um, ovarian cancer is very heterogeneous disease and clinical and molecular characteristics are so uh, distinct across the histology types. And then he always said that the uh, one-size-fits-all concept wouldn't have uh, um, applied in this ovarian cancer. So uh, this uh, information uh, message uh, stuck in my heart for, uh, in my brain for a long time. And then over a decade, um, there are mounting data um, with a large clinical trial, phase three randomized clinical study demonstrating equivalent uh, oncologic outcome uh, with decreased surgical uh, complication uh, with a new adjuvant chemotherapy in uh, advanced ovarian cancer. But uh, I pay little attention to uh, histology subtypes uh, because of Dr. Sud, um, the influence. And then I noted that um, in mounting four major studies, including very small number of uh, this common epithelial ovarian cancer in their study. So I was wondering if uh, the extrapolating their study outcome uh, measure, uh, uh, in measure um, that uh, included uh, high-grade serious or endometrial is safe, and then it is unknown if uh, um, the we as a surgeon can or patient can also um, uh, use their data to this common epithelial cancer. And then in power to the mounting uh, this um, the large-scale randomized clinical trial, the number of uh, the use of chemotherapy, chemotherapy is um, increasing significantly um, in real-world practice data. So, but again, their study also um, looked the high-grade serious, and then we don't know if the uptake also occur in this common ovarian cancer. So, these are the uh, motivations that uh, um, I decided to look into this uh, information and outcome. Let me just uh, also point out, uh, Pedro, that while I was honored to be a co-author, Koji was really the driving force behind the conceptualization, conduct, and analysis of this study. And I think it's really an important contribution to the literature. Yes, thank you very much. And, and uh, I agree completely. 
And, and and to that point, then Koji, can we get to what is the primary objective of the study? Um, I made a three uh, primary endpoints for um, this analysis. Uh, the first is the uptake of the neoadjuvant chemotherapy in advanced less common epithelial ovarian cancer. Number two is um, patient and then tumor characteristics associated with the use of uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy in this population. And then number three is the oncologic outcome. I choose the uh, overall survival uh, associated with the um, neoadjuvant chemotherapy in this population. Excellent. And, and what data source did you use to conduct this study? So I, I decided to use the two, um, the U.S. nation's large-scale tumor registry uh, in this country. The, the first one is National Cancer Database, and the number two is the SEER. The National Cancer Database is the, um, this is the data um, tumor registry via the um, joint uh, collaboration mechanism uh, from a American Cancer Society and American College of Surgeons. Um, this um, Commission on Cancer uh, Mechanism um, capture more than 70% of new incident of uh, um, uh, cancer diagnosis in this country uh, from the 1500 the, uh, the, um, Commission on Cancer uh, Affiliated Centers. The CIA is the uh, National Cancer Institute's um, population-based uh, tumor registry it's in operation for more than five decades. And then this, um, the mechanism captures uh, nearly 97% of a new incidence cancer in covered registered um, the area, which most updated version uh, covered nearly 35% of a U.S. population. I decided to uh, use two sets in the two reasons. One is, is that the, a national cancer database, uh, this is most likely an assumption that uh, it's captured um, the uh, large uh, cancer center, academic center, which may uh, follow the uh, current practice guideline uh, carefully. And then and the, at, at the same time, see uh, uh, this is a data set representing the real world and unselected like, um, uh, population-based study. So I thought that these two may have a different um, outcome and then uh, analysis, uh, I decided to use these two data sets. Very well. And Koji, before we get into the results, can you tell us a little bit more about um, the study design and the inclusion criteria, and also specifically, um, I noticed you use an inverse probability of treatment weighting uh, propensity score. Um, why do you use that strategy in this analysis? Okay, uh, for this uh, study design, uh, this is a retrospective cohort study using two parallel cohort of a national cancer database and the CIA. Um, the inclusion and exclusion criteria are included the um, advanced stage three to four uh, less common epithelial ovarian cancer. Per the NCCN, I picked the uh, clear cell, and mucinous, and then low-grade serous. Um, the <clears throat> patient must have a uh, two multimodal treatment, including uh, cancer-directed surgery and then systemic chemotherapy. Um, then patients who did not have information or early stage were excluded. Um, in terms of analytic approach for the question regarding IPTW, um, so um, this is a, a type of analysis to uh, um, the assess the potential cause association using a retrospect data. In historical or a typical analytic approach in the health uh, science uh, data set using retrospective study, we use the, uh, the adjustment model and the multivariable analysis 
that in that uh, exposure outcome association will be assessed by the uh, study covariates, which is different between the two exposures. In this case, um, the factor to different um, between the new RG1 chemotherapy and the PDS. And also the factor, um, the impact on the oncologic outcome, which is this case, the survival. So these are the, um, the typical approach to assess the exposure outcome association by adjusting factors. But uh, this, uh, this approach can have uh, two caveats um, in this kind of retrospective study. That if, if uh, number one, if sample size is too small, it may result in this uh, over uh, adjusting, which may dilute out uh, through um, the analysis. Um, <clears throat> the number two, if uh, sample size is too large, like this type of uh, big data, it may uh, it may result in uh, still um, residual confounding in that the uh, sample size effect, the, it can impact on the, um, the adjusting factors. So to mitigate this uh, sample size effect, sample size imbalance between the two groups, this um, the um, type of quasi-experimental analysis, including IPTW, is uh, developed. Uh, in this approach, like, uh, we create a pseudo-population cohort in that uh, all the major confounders are well balanced in the pseudo-cohort as if like uh, creating randomized clinical trial uh, table one type of uh, balance statistics. And then the, in this um, approach, like, uh, let's say patient has factor A, which is uh, the factor associated with the uh, more likely to use the new asthma chemotherapy for three holes in the actual uh, patient uh, data set, patient has only one information, but in this pseudo cohort, uh, that patient representing three patients. And then if patient has a one survival event of this, uh, this uh, count will be uh, triple in the uh, pseudo cohort. So this is uh, the uh, big uh, picture of the ITPW. Um, another way to mitigate this um, the uh, major confounder um, is the propensity score matching. But uh, um, I decided to not to use this propensity score matching because the uh, number of the proportion uh, between the uh, new asthma chemotherapy and the PDS are so different. Only 10 to 20% population in this uh, study has new asthma chemotherapy, and the uh, remaining 70 to 80% patients are, um, underwent uh, PDS. So if you do one-to-one -one propensity score matching, then ma many majority of the patients in the PDS group will not be representing in uh, the um, propensity score match model. So this can be potentially uh, result in selection bias. So uh, that's the reason I use the IPPW in this uh, analysis. Very well. Just for our listeners, in terms of abbreviations, I, I the IPTW is inverse probability of treatment weighing, and PDS is primary debulking surgery. Um, so, uh, Koji, uh, over 3,000 patients, I believe it was 3,880 patients. Um, what were the results that you saw from this study? Um, so, key um, message, key findings in the study is that uh, the utilization of neoadjuvant chemotherapy um, in advanced less common epithelial cancer gradually increasing over the past decades in clear cell and then low-grade uh, in the mucinous, um, there is a trend uh, towards increasing, but they didn't uh, result in a statistical significance. And then, um, the, um, more importantly, there is a uh, interaction between the uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy use and the uh, oncologic outcome, which is uh, overall survival across the uh, histology types, in that uh, in the <clears throat> clear cell and the mucinous ovarian cancer, use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy was not associated with the uh, over survival, 
but uh, importantly, in um, low-grade serious ovarian cancer, use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy was associated with the um, decrease over survival. And then um, the subgroup analysis based on the patient and tumor and the comorbidity stratification in this low-grade serious uh, population, uh, patients who otherwise having a favorable uh, uh, prognostic factor uh, actually um, outcome are poorer with uh, 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 neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Uh, specifically, patient is younger and healthier, and uh, this disease burden, um, earlier tumor uh, cancer stage, they do worse with uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And importantly, uh, this, um, the findings in the National Cancer Database was also um, consistent in the uh, second cohort of SIA. Uh, and then we, went on, we further went on to uh, a systematic review and meta-analysis, which uh, didn't find much uh, study as expected because this is an area of understudy uh, clinical entity. And then, but the results are uh, consistent in that uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy use associated with um, inferior outcome inferior uh, survival in low-grade Excellent. Very well. So I wanted to start getting into some questions from our fellows, and I'll, I'll turn over to David Gershenson for this one. This question comes from Giuseppe Caruso from Italy, and um, he says, the use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy has gradually increased over the years in the U.S. Uh, um, patients with less common uh, tumors. However, this clinical conduct is unexpected and in contrast with what international and consensus statements have stated about the importance of pursuing primary debulking surgery in patients with histologic types associated with poor response to platinum-based therapy, even when complete resection is questionable. So what are the possible explanations for seeing this increasing trend in neoadjuvant chemotherapy? Thank you, Pedro. So I think there's several factors that have contributed to the increase in neoadjuvant chemotherapy. As we know, there were three large phase three studies that basically demonstrated equivalent uh, overall survival of whether patients underwent primary debulking surgery or neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Now, but we also know that these studies largely included women with high-grade serous carcinoma, which is not really applicable to the rare subtypes, which are less platinum-sensitive. And that's so I think people read these articles and they decided that, hey, it doesn't really matter what which you do, which I don't believe is the case, even for high-grade serous carcinoma. Secondly, I think uh, we're more sophisticated now in being able to interpret uh, images uh, CT, PET-CT, and I mm -hmm. think that has uh, led to some patients being excluded from primary debulking surgery because of certain uh, distribution of tumor. Thirdly, uh, laparoscopic evaluation or scope and score, I think has, because there's a scoring system, uh, has contributed to the increase in neoadjuvant chemotherapy for, the, for those patients who have high scores and uh, finally, I think, you know, there are a number of uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy interval debulking surgeries that, that demonstrate fewer complications associated with those surgeries compared to primary debulking surgery. So I think that has kind of swayed some people in the direction of neoadjuvant chemotherapy. But, under, but again, for these rare subtypes that are not so platinum sensitive, 
we need to seek uh, other strategies. Perfect, very well. Um, Koji, I'll turn to you. Uh, now, this question comes from Luigi De Vitis in, uh, in Italy also. And he says, what do you think are the most relevant confounders that could have affected overall survival? And can you also comment on the type of chemotherapy that was given in mucinous histotypes? Can you actually gather that from this database? Um, so the uh, major confounders are defined by the study coverage that uh, was not uh, available in the uh, database, but the potentially impact on um, exposure outcome association. So I can come up with two uh, areas uh, for major confounders. One is patient factors, and then uh, other is tumor factors. For the patient factor uh, performance status, it's most likely the uh, case for the major confounder because this is the case to offer new asthma chemotherapy for the patients who are not in good shape. But uh, this is a factor uh, well known that uh, it impact on uh, survival in, in general. And in terms of tumor factor, I would pick the um, <clears throat> high tumor burden, initial tumor burden at the diagnosis. This is likely the case that I'm uh, missing in this uh, database, but the most likely uh, impact on the uh, use of uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy as well as the oncologic outcome. Uh, this is because the, uh, based on the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, GOG-182 ancillary analysis by Dr. Ni Horowitz, uh, he found that uh, despite of, uh, regardless of R0 status, Initial high tumor burden uh, was a prognostic factor to um, <clears throat> point towards the uh, decreased oncologic outcome. So this would be, be the case. And these two factors uh, I cannot control, I cannot uh, uh, ignore, and then most likely uh, this is the case to explain um, the many uh, aspects uh, observed in this, uh, this analysis. So in terms of uh, the uh, mucinous uh, histology chemotherapy types, um, uh, this uh, both SIA uh, and the National Cancer Database does not have information for chemotherapy uh, types and the detail, but uh, uh, the mounting data, including GOG241 by Dr. Gore and Dr. Kashinshin, examining the uh, GI versus G1 regimen, as well as the uh, Dr. Karnit, uh, the Mass Center study, looking at the uh, G GI versus G1 regimen, plus minus bevacizumab, uh, all like kind of uh, pointing towards the um, difference between the uh, chemotherapy response and outcome across these types. So uh, I cannot also uh, examine this, um, the chemotherapy difference in the mucinous, um, but this is a very important question. Very well. Um, I'll turn to David now for this question from Giuseppe Cucinella, also from Italy. He says, across the three histologic subtypes, the rate of optimal saddle reduction was lower in the neoadjuvant chemotherapy group than in the primary debulking surgery group. However, complete resectability is one of the most important prognostic factors. Despite these findings, overall survival was worse only in low-grade uh, serous carcinoma group. Given the assumption of chemoresistance in these three histotypes, how do you explain the worse survival only in low-grade serous carcinomas? Well, I can speculate, uh, Pedro. Um... First of all, we know that low-grade serous ovarian cancer has generally a good prognosis and relatively much better than clear cell or mucinous. We also know from, from published studies that patients who undergo primary debulking surgery have a much better survival than uh, those in the two studies reported with neoadjuvant chemotherapy you know, the, the median overall survival 
with primary debulking surgery followed by systemic therapy is in the 120 to 150 month range. But in our two uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy studies, the median overall survival was 47 and 56 months. So, so this may be explained by the fact that this just has a, this uh, subtype has a good prognosis. Conversely, we know that both clear cell, metastatic clear cell and mucinous ovarian cancers generally have a poor prognosis. And that may be true regardless of whether they undergo primary debulking surgery or neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by interval surgery. It may not matter because the, the difference may be nullified or obscured by the fact that the uh, overall prognosis is so poor. Very well. And uh, David, this question comes from Sarah Sahinakar. And um, as a follow-up to that, she asked, in your practice, can you discuss as to which patients do you recommend with low-grade serous carcinoma to undergo neoadjuvant chemotherapy? So um, I think... It, it's true that uh, we just had a consensus conference in October of 2022, and we did discuss neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and clearly it's not a preferred approach in patients with low-grade serous ovarian cancer. However, there will be a small proportion of women who present with very extensive disease or uh, comorbidities. In the MD Anderson cohort studies, we know that we have a very large referral base for low-grade uh, serous ovarian cancer. Hence, we do see uh, probably relatively more women who have extensive disease. Secondly, again, as I mentioned previously, because we use scope and score in our practice, that is going to tilt in a little bit more in the direction of uh, neoadjuvant treatment. Uh, so I think those are, those would be the, the two reasons. But I think uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy for low-grade ovarian cancer should be used very sparingly and very selectively, and we should uh, really aim to um, improve our strategies for treating these patients. Excellent. Very well. So, Koja, I'll turn to you again. Luigi DeVitis asks... Um, Although residual disease had surgery was considered in the model, it should be noted that optimal resection was classified as a single class less than one centimeter. Do you think that further differentiation, such as R0 versus less than one centimeter, could have influenced the results of this study, particularly in mucinous and clear cell histology? Uh, yes, that's a very important question. Um, I used the one centimeter cutoff cut point um, <clears throat> because this is a um, target tumor size um, by the NCCN or ASCO guideline to triage the uh, treatment selection, either PDS or neoadjuvant chemotherapy. That's why I use this cutoff one centimeter. But uh, uh, this question actually opened up the uh, more important uh, question in that uh, does. <clears throat> the concept of a cyclic reaction to R0, R1 applied to uh, less common epithelial ovarian cancer. Uh, so I came up with this question and then I quickly looked at literature and actually I couldn't find much the um, <clears throat> data demonstrating this uh, the association for cyclic reaction and the oncologic outcome in this less common epithelial ovarian cancer, including clear cell to mucinous to low-grade cereals. 
So I think um, I have to uh, work on this uh, R0-R1 question in the primary working setting in a less common ovarian cancer in the future. Very well. Um, this somewhat related question, you mentioned regarding risk factors before, and this one from Giuseppe Cucinella, he asked, um, are patients who are younger, healthier, perhaps less tumor bulk, the cases that deserve the maximum surgical effort rather than neoadjuvant chemotherapy? And particularly, is this the case for low-grade ovarian cancer? Um, yes, I think uh, um, Dr. Garshinshan um, commented on this uh, question earlier, uh, but uh, I agree in that um, in this uh, pop the specific population of low-grade cedars with uh, otherwise um, favorable uh, factor with um, younger, healthier, and then earlier disease, we may need to push the envelope to um, push the debulking and then um, to contain the tumor as much as possible with a maximal side reduction. And the procedure would include uh, oophectomy to remove the source of estrogen um, because the hypothesis uh, derived based on this uh, national cancer database analysis, as well as Dr. Garshinshon's prior. Uh, JCO paper um, both show that uh, the outcome was in uh, a younger patient. So hypothesis is that uh, the in situ uh, uh, ovary producing um, through the neoadjuvant chemotherapy for three to four months may um, uh, produce the uh, ovarian hormone, which the uh, major driver of tumor progression in this hormone sensitive the tumor in a low grade series. So the not only um, the patient uh, uh, tumor primary Working, but also important procedure, including uh, to remove the source of estrogen with a oophectomy. Excellent. I'm, I'm going to jump to the question by uh, Guido Rey Balzaki from Argentina. And he says the rate of optimal cell reduction was lower in the neoadjuvant chemotherapy group than in the primary debulking group for clear cell and mucinous carcinoma. However, they had comparable overall survival. What are your thoughts on these results? I think uh, there are a couple of reasons to explain this association. Um, the first one is, um, yes, the uh, rates of uh, um, complete or optimally working might be higher in a PDS group, but we don't know if this results in the higher rate of a possible complication due to the uh, mm -hmm. more bowel section to uh, hepatic uh, spinach resection to uh, urinary tract uh, resection. So this might result in a delay in uh, initiation of chemotherapy, and then that might result in the, uh, <clears throat> the survival uh, advantage offset. Uh, this was based on the uh, GOG 218 analysis by Dr. Chris Twari in that the, the uh, chemotherapy, uh, post-operative chemotherapy initiation time, um, the longer uh, wait, the lower the chance of overall survival. So this might be the case. Uh, in his analysis of um, the GOG218, the 25 days or longer wait time to start the uh, post-op chemotherapy associated with the increase um, the uh, risk of mortality, including death. And then also, um, 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 there are a large number of patients missing this information for side reduction in this analysis. So this might be potentially uh, limit the interpretation of this uh, side reduction and the oncological outcome in this uh, mucinous and then clear cell. Very well. Um, I'll turn to David for this one. This question is from Giuseppe Caruso in Italy. He says, in the era of precision medicine and translational research, novel targeted therapies in combination with neoadjuvant chemotherapy may add significant effect, benefit 
for less common histologic subtypes. Uh, where do we stand on this issue? And are there any predictive biomarkers of response to chemotherapy in these rare histotypes? Thank you, Pedro. So I know of no universal predictive biomarker for response to chemotherapy. We, uh, in one study, made a weak attempt to use KI-67, and that probably does merit further study as, as a biomarker. But right now, we don't have the, the biomarker. I think an alternative strategy for these rare subtypes is to think about uh, novel regimens other than just the paclitaxel, carboplatinum, bevacizumab chemotherapy. So in low-grade serous ovarian cancer, uh, we uh, uh, did a pilot study with uh, a CDK4-6 inhibitor of hemocyclob combined with fulvestrant and found that we had a remarkable 60% response rate. And so this uh, strategy will be pursued further in larger studies. Likewise, I think we will see a neoadjuvant uh, study with a MEK inhibitor plus uh, endocrine therapy for low-grade serous ovarian cancer. Likewise, I think we could look at novel regimens for both mucinous and clear cells. So for mucinous carcinoma, maybe we should be considering GI regimens that have been shown to be somewhat better than paclitaxel carboplatinum in the adjuvant setting. And for clear cell, we know that 50% of these uh, clear cell cancers have an ARID1A mutation, a very high proportion, maybe 30% have a PI3 kinase AKT mTOR alteration. So we should be looking at more targeted therapies in the neoadjuvant setting for those rare subtypes as well. Excellent. Um, Koji, I'll turn to you. This question is from Matt Wager from uh, University of Wisconsin. And he says, in the absence of prospective clinical evidence for the use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy in rare ovarian tumors, should organizations like the NCCN, ESGO, SGO, make a stronger recommendation for or against neoadjuvant chemotherapy or primary debulking surgery for patients with these rare histologies? Uh, thank you very much. I think this is a very important suggestion. And then uh, I actually am a very humble person. So I'd like to um, suggest that the first, I'd like to actually validate this uh, findings, particular association observed in uh, low-grade series. I'd like to validate with uh, even larger scale, um, nationally or international level. Uh, <clears throat> the, at the time um, this paper was published, I also uh, funded the publication uh, from a uh, um, Netherlands GOG group, um, the exactly demonstrating the uh, sorry, uh, presented the same uh, association in that the use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy has significantly increased uh, in their population for uh, the advanced low-grade serious and then uh, similar oncologic outcome in that the patient who uh, had a uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy had a poorer oncologic outcome uh, compared to uh, PDS. So. Uh, but again, uh, their population was also very uh, modest. So I think uh, this might be the opportunity to uh, use the kind of uh, larger international collaborative mechanism such as IGCS to validate this uh, <clears throat> the association low-grade series, particularly addressing this, uh, uh, for I mentioned, the uh, major factor, patient performance status, as well as uh, tumor burden at uh, diagnosis. Um, at, in terms of current NCCN guideline, uh, their current uh, <clears throat> the focus is uh, including ASCO 
current focus is uh, mainly to rule out GI <coughs> origin or, uh, or other organ site disease um, to uh, make sure that this is a GYN or um, uh, ovarian cancer. Um, and then there are only one sentence that, uh, uh, to uh, pay attention to uh, history subtypes. But I, I think it is pretty, very important that uh, this kind of message might be necessary, um, particularly global seeders. Excellent. So I'll, I'll have uh, one last question for uh, David. And uh, this one comes also from uh, Wager. And he, uh, you know, you certainly alluded to some of the studies that are being done. He wants to uh, specifically learn from you with regards to for each of these histotypes, clear cell and uh, mucinous and low grade, what do you think is the most promising agent today? Well, I think, again, as I've mentioned, for uh, low-grade serous uh, endocrine therapy in combination with CDK4-6 inhibitors or MEK inhibitors in combination with uh, endocrine therapy are the two, I think, priority strategies that need to be studied. And as I already mentioned, for clear cell, in addition to anti-angiogenic drugs, which I think do have a special uh, special efficacy in that subtype, um, targeted agents that target either ARID1A or PI3 kinase are important, and then GI regimens for mucinous. I think one of the outstanding unanswered questions is, in these rare subtypes, is primary debulking, even though you may only achieve suboptimal residual disease, better than subjecting patients to neoadjuvant chemotherapy and interval surgery? And that's a, a as I say, a question that is not yet answered, but particularly in low-grade serous, but maybe in all three subtypes, since they all are relatively platinum resistant, uh, I think it's it would be worthwhile to consider uh, this. Excellent. So uh, just a few more questions for you, Koji. This question is from Jessica Mauro, and uh, she wants to know, when she sees patients with these rare histotypes, um, what is the best strategy to make a decision about surgery or neoadjuvant chemotherapy? Is it preoperative imaging or is it laparoscopy? Thank you so much. I think this is a very important question. I would emphasize to for the current the guiding approach, the number one, first to rule out uh, GI uh, tumor origin by the, uh, I mean, to confirm that um, the Histologic confirmation of uh, ovarian cancer origin, and the number two is to um, the assess the uh, receptability. Um, I think both uh, preoperative imaging as well as uh, diagnostic scope are both are important, and then to assess the um, receptability for um, uh, second step, and then third step uh, added by um, this uh, uh, study and others is to consider uh, histotype, histology type, and particularly if they are. Uh, histology type is low-grade serous, uh, this might be the case to push the uh, primary debulking even despite that uh, R0, R1 would be uh, achievable. And then procedure probably need to be uh, including um, the oophectomy to remove the source of estrogen. Um, and then a potential consideration might be uh, including um, the post-operative anti-estrogen uh, hormone approach too. Very well. So now, Koji, just getting to the last two questions, uh, what do you see as the limitations of your study? Um, limitations are, are mainly threefold. The number one is the unmeasured uh, confounding bias. 
Number two is selection bias. Number three is the uh, accuracy. The uh, major confounding factors are discussed in the early discussion, including patient factor with a performance status and acute medical comorbidity, uh, potentially a uh, thromboembolic event, and also um, the tumor factor, including uh, tumor high disease burden and location. And then um, in terms of selection bias, um, I only included the um, the patient who underwent, who received multimodal therapy with both cancer-directed surgery as well as chemotherapy, and then excluded the patient who had the chemotherapy alone. Uh, it, this is because the uh, we don't, I didn't know that uh, using a retrospective data set, we don't know the intention to uh, going back to interpotevoking versus chemotherapy as given only for palliation. So to uh, um, removing chemotherapy alone, we don't know a tumor, uh, true tumor biology in that the chemotherapy, uh, tumor grow, uh, grow through the uh, chemotherapy. So this can be potentially resulting in selection bias. Uh, in terms of accuracy, um, uh, applies to a histologic confirmation for mucinous tumor and then uh, low gas serious. Uh, as known, the uh, GOG 241 uh, by Dr. Go and Dr. Garshenshin, the uh, accuracy of uh, mucinous ovarian cancer diagnosis is very uh, the very low, and then nearly half of them are, uh, either came from GI or uh, cervical cancer origin. So we don't know the accuracy of this um, the uh, mucinous tumor. Uh, same apply for uh, low-grade serious. Um, there's no uh, low-grade serious histology specific uh, the the um, ICD code in the current uh, the WHO schema. Then I use the uh, tumor differentiation grade one with a CS histology as a surrogate for uh, low-grade serious based on Dr. Marupika's, uh, the Dr. Boraka's, the uh, two-tier system, uh, the, uh, the consensus, uh, they confirm that uh, this most likely um, the uh, accurate to um, uh, diagnose the low-grade serious. Um, but again, um, it, it might be possible that some of the tumor in the low-grade serious uh, group may be actually grade two serious cancer or potentially the serious borderline tumor. So this uh, accuracy was not confirmed. Excellent. And one last question I always ask uh, the primary authors of the manuscripts is, how are you going to use the results of this study in your own practice? Um, so after I uh, complete this project, I I talked to myself how how this data change um, in the future practice. Uh, in, there are many. Um, the first I to make sure I to confirm diagnosis of uh, um, <clears throat> the ovarian cancer histology. Um, the number two assess the uh, receptability. The number three, the added information I talked earlier is the considering uh, the less common type of ovarian cancer uh, may not acting similar to um, the other high-grade serious. And, and therefore, um, the, if this is the case for low-grade serious, um, they might need to push the uh, primary debulking, including oophorectomy. But again, that going back to the first line of this, uh, this uh, <clears throat> conversation, that uh, uh, one size fits all type of concept uh, wouldn't apply to uh, ovarian cancer. Um, Dr. G uh, understood uh, the important message that the, each histology type has uh, distinct clinical and molecular uh, characteristics in ovarian cancer. So this needs to be uh, emphasized to the, um, the audience today. Excellent. Very, very well. Thank you both, uh, Koji Matsuo, David Gershenson. Congratulations once again. Uh, this really, truly impacting uh, work. And thank you for accepting my invitation to do the podcast for our journal. Thank you, Pedro. Uh, 
Thank you very much. Um,